Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. This episode is sponsored in partnership with the Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium. The Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium is an online training to truly help professionals learn about the intersections of diabetes, disordered eating, stigma, and health behaviors. It will offer all health professionals who work in diabetes care a chance to explore a weight neutral approach and how this paradigm offers effective care and treatment for patients. The symposium focuses on the intersections of weight stigma, diabetes, eating disorders, and more. Learn and connect with the 16 speakers from around the world who will accelerate your understanding of the nuances and intersection between counseling, diabetes, and weight-neutral diabetes care. See show notes for a link to more information on the Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium website, www.wn4dcsymposium.com. Bethany Wheeler is a registered dietitian specializing in eating disorders, body image, and sports nutrition through a social and health justice lens, and whose practice philosophies include health at every size, weight inclusivity, body autonomy, and self-compassion. She is also the owner of B. Wheeler Nutrition, LLC in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Bethany believes diversity is valuable and that all forms of diversity, size, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, ability, immigration status, age, class, etc., need to be recognized and honored. Bethany holds a Bachelor of Science in Dietetics and a Master of Science in Applied Exercise and Health Science. Prior to opening her practice, she worked at Kennesaw State University, where she was a founding member of the eating disorder treatment team and provided outpatient nutrition therapy for students, including NCAA and club level athletes. She is currently a member of the Association for Size Diversity and Health, Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals, and the International Federation of Eating Disorders Dietitians. In this episode, we talked to Bethany about privileges, we talked about the evolving field of health at every size, and how to embody your beliefs within a family life. We also talked about the generation of niceness in dietetics, and how advocacy is such hard work, so how do we balance that without burning out? And then we also talked about the concept of perfectionism working within this scope. We hope you enjoy this episode with Bethany. So thank you for joining us, Bethany. Can we start with you sharing with the folks listening about who you are and your privileges you identify with? Absolutely. And I just want to thank you uh, both first for having me on today. Um, So the privileges that that I identify with, and I think this is a really great question and a really important place to start a lot of conversations, um, particularly in in the field, um, in the dietetics world and in the Hayes community and the eating disorder world and so many different um, realms. Um, It's important to start with this. So I, I identify as a white, uh, cis, hetero, female. I uh, consider myself identified as able-bodied um, and, and having an, an able-bodied has allowed me to become a parent. It's allowed me to bear children. Um, I'm currently middle-class socioeconomic status and I grew up in upper middle-class socioeconomic status, which which provided access to a lot of things, um, one of which is my education. So I have a, a graduate or master's level education. Um, and while, yes, um, during those years while I was in school, I worked, I worked really hard. Um, I also think it's important to acknowledge that I was given the opportunity to go to school, again, because of the privileges that I had, and that's not the case for a lot of people. And there are a lot of people out there who are so immensely educated and knowledgeable, but they're not 
formally educated um, in the way that our society really expects them or accepts um, education. And so I really think it's, it's really important to talk about, talk about that um, and to also center those voices that, um, that haven't have haven't, don't have those privileges, um, haven't had access to things that, you know, for example, I've had access to, and they bring so much valuable information um, to really any, any field. Um, I also am a credentialed healthcare professional, um, and again, kind of ties back into what I was just saying. I, I w I'm able to have certain letters behind my name because of of what I was born into, um, and uh, and there are are individuals out there who have who are so much more knowledgeable than me, um, and and you know just could could provide so much care but can't because they haven't have haven't had the opportunities to go through trainings or they don't have the funding um, to pay for education or trainings or to um, you know get licensure um, depending on their their profession or whatnot um, and so I do definitely consider my credential a privilege um, and uh, and then I also I also think it's important for me, um, and I, I definitely don't mind sharing this, is I do live as someone in recovery from a mental illness, um, and, I, and I utilize medication. And I, want, and I say that because I think it's important to recognize that I am privileged to have access to the healthcare and medication to help manage this, and that's not the case for so many people. Um, so while you know, I, I don't necessarily say my mental illness is a privilege, I, I point out that um, the access that I have to be able to manage that is very much a privilege. Um, and so that kind of brings up um, intersectionality and kind of how that plays a role um, in all of our lives. But um, I think those are a majority of them. I'm sure there's some that I'm missing, but that's, that's how I, I currently identify. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Bethany. That's amazing. You're welcome. Yes, I just, I think we both want to honor you being able to share that openly with us. And it kind of flows so nicely into the question that we wanted to sort of find out, you know, having recently wrapped my head really around what privileges are and where mm -hmm. I am at with that. Um, because I think, you know, this whole profession of health at every size and intersectionality and um, all the, the privileges that we have, it, it's something we're always going to be learning more about. Mm -hmm. And we would love to know where you're currently at in your field of practice or personally or whatever way you want to interpret this in this ever-evolving field of health at every size. Yeah, um, really good question. And, and yeah, this is something, I mean, like you said, I don't think I'm ever not going to be working on. Um, and there, you know, we're, I'm going to be in different places at different times. Um, currently, though, I would say as far as where I'm at, um, one area where I'm doing a lot of work in is being an ally and learning how to be an ally and not um, not just this, like, quote-unquote good ally. Um and, and like looking like I'm a, you know, like trying to be perceived as a good ally. Um, but I truly like want to be um, somebody who, who is an ally for those who are oppressed, for those um, who are marginalized. Um, and also currently doing, um, you know, continuing to try to learn about and explore um, the concept of tokenism. And so that kind of ties a little bit back in um, to this to the concept of kind of like being a, a good ally or doing like the quote unquote right thing. Um, you know, if there's, if it's genuinely not, if it's just for, for looks in a sense, um, and there's not that genuine intention there. Um, I, I also, um, a lot of what's rumbling around in my brain recently too is, is understanding intention versus impact. Um, I think for a long time, you know, I, I, I 
you know, challenged um, my intention behind a lot of things. And, and at this point, it's like, I, I've, I'm kind of feel like I'm taking that next step and, and looking at, okay, this may be my intention, but what is the impact or, and what is the impact? And so really um, trying to digest that and, and kind of leading me into, you know, into the work that I do and into what I, I go out and do next. Um, I, I feel like on a regular basis, if not a, a daily or like weekly basis there, I just, I'm continuing to unravel. Um, so like all these different layers regarding my privilege or my privileges um, and what role I'm able to have in the health at every size and fat activism community. Um, and, you know, again, like I said, it's something I feel like I'll be working on for the, for the rest of my life. Um, I think it's also, you know, one thing that I'm thinking about a lot recently is, um, is the importance of speaking out against oppression, but not speaking for those who have been oppressed because their voices, their messages need to be heard and they, those are the ones that need to be centered. And so that's constantly something that I, I, um, try to check myself on, you know, if it's anything that I like post on social media, for example, or, you know, even in conversations that I have with people, um, it's just really trying to, um, compassionately challenge, challenge myself. Um, and that, that also leads into, to another thing that I'll mention, um, is, is someone who has kind of my default, um, perfectionistic tendencies, um, that I've really been challenging for most of my life. Um, I think it can be really hard, um, doing some of the, doing some of this. Cause I, um, you know, it, it kind of goes back as what, you know, where is my perfectionism or those perfectionistic tendencies showing up in this? And, um, and, and challenging that all at, at the same time. Um, you know, yeah. So, so it's a lot rumbling around, um, in my brain. I, I will say that, um, I'm at a, a place where, um, it, it's exhausting. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, I think that's, you know, because a lot of this stuff is, for the most part, like fairly new to me, you know, um, considering how long I've been in, you know, alive and, and just in this um, field. Um, a lot of these concepts are, are for the most part very new. So there's just a lot um, that's, that's going through my brain at the moment and my brain's working <laughs> a whole lot. Um, and I have to remind myself that like, yeah, my, my brain is part of my human body. Um, and, and it's going to get tired and it's going to need to rest and maybe, you know, more so at this point, um, than, than at other times before. So, um, again, kind of trying to bring in that compassion, um, for myself too. In, in a lot of this work. Um, and, and, you know, I, and I go back to like, I, I am privileged that, um, that I have the time that I do to, to spend doing this work. Um, because I, I was able, because of, of our privilege, I was able to, to leave a full-time job and start my private practice, which meant, um, a little bit more time at home. Um, and you know, which has allowed me to, to really dive a little bit deeper into this. And that's not always the case, um, for a lot of people. Um, they kind of, they're doing a lot of work while also working full-time or more, um, jobs. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that as well. I think that's a beautiful answer. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head when we say that the ever evolving world of haze is, yes. um, it's so much work all the time and we need to always be doing the work. Mm -hmm. And if we think we're finished the work, then we need to work harder. Right. Um, and I think it's, it sounds to me like you're doing a lot of that um, in your work life. And how do you think you're able to embody those beliefs with your child and your family and your life outside of work? Oh, that's a good question. Um, very good question. So, um, 
you know, again, I, I think it's important to, to preface um, this by saying, you know, a lot of things that, that me um, and my husband are able to do um, with our daughter are because of our pro- privileges. Um, and, and my hope is that we can continue to teach our daughter the impact of privilege um, and how to recognize them in our lives versus just being ignorant of them. Um, so, and you know, that can show up in many ways. Um, I think, you know, as far as health at every size goes and, and um, weight inclusive practice, bringing that, um, you know, in our house, it's, it's, it's the way that we talk about um, our bodies, um, our own bodies. Um, and, and, you know, talking about, you know, just so much more than, than um, an appearance of a body, but, you know, also, also if we are talking about how our body looks, um, you know, not, not doing it in a, a demonizing way, it's like, you know, we just use basic adjectives. Um, none of them have like these kind of derogatory um, meaning behind them. Um, and um, yeah, and and then you know, as far as like how we approach food and eating um, in our in our house, it's it's trying to teach our daughter not to demonize food as it relates to morality. I mean, I I think. Um, this is where a little bit of the nuance comes in. It's like, you know, recognizing that there can be aspects of food um, that make us feel bad. For example, if a food is contaminated and then it, you know, brings about an illness into our body. Um, and so, you know, just, just really um, just having those ongoing conversations um, with our daughter and, and, um, you know, around food. Um, we, we really try to encourage and promote trust within herself and within her body. Um, and, and that's something that is, you know, obviously important to me, um, as as doing the work that I do, but, but also just my own, um, history with, um, with losing a lot of distrust in my body for a lot of my life. Um, so that's, I'm a little bit more cognizant of that, um, you know, raising a child. And, and because we do have access to food, she, you know, my daughter doesn't have to worry about not having food the next time she gets hungry. So she has the ability to leave food on the plate if she wants to, um, or if, you know, if she's finished. Um, and I think it's important, you know, when we're talking about like intuitive eating, for example, um, that there, there are times where, you know, someone might not be able to eat as intuitively um, as, as we may, may, you know, call it because that may be the only meal that they have. So they may eat, you know, to a point where they feel, um, you know, really, really full. Um, and that's okay um, for them. And that's the way that they can still get that nourishment in their body if that's like the only meal that they have. So, so again, I think it's, you know, important to put it into the context of which we currently live is that, um, you know, we're able to, to, um, kind of teach our daughter these things. And at the same time, um, like I was saying before, just recognizing those privileges and teaching her about that too. Um, you know, another thing as far as food and eating goes, we, we kind of do a little bit of, um, a little bit of Ellen Satter, um, as far as like division of responsibility. And we also, again, because of the access, um, we do give her opportunities to choose what food she wants to eat and when. Um, and then, you know, of course, as well as how much. So, um, so, you know, giving opportunities for, for both us providing food um, and the opportunities to eat it and then, you know, allowing her to, to make those choices as well for herself. Um, and then, you know, as, as far as movement goes, uh, enjoyable movement um, and practicing and also demonstrating rest um, when our bodies are indicating it and when we have access to environment that, that we're able to rest. Um, and, and then, you know, some, some things that are, are definitely related to haze, um, maybe a little bit more broader though, is, is just really trying to validate her emotions and her feelings, really trying to leave open lines of communication with our daughter um, and talking to her, you know, for example, about societal ideals 
um, you know, such as in movies that she sees or TV shows or even with her toys. Um, so just really having conversations around that and, and listening to her and validating her. Um, and then, you know, allowing her to choose, choose things for herself um, too. And I'm thinking about, you know, like I, we allow her to choose her clothing because um, that's the way that she, she can express um, herself and, um, and allowing her to choose, you know, the hobbies that she's involved with. Um, so really just, you know, allowing kind of that authenticity of her. And, and I hope that's something that um, we can continue to, to do. And, and I'll point out like, my child is only four years old, so we. Uh, this is where we're at at year four, um, you know. And and there's going to be other phases and other challenges as uh, as she grows and um, as life continues. So, you know, may maybe a little bit different um, <laughs> in a few years, but that's where we're at today. That's. Uh, I know uh, we were both anxious to hear how you were going to respond to that in both having families and um, Gloria, feel free to jump in. This has sort of been like just how much is involved in not only living in this practice, but providing it for your family and in your practice, you can see why some of us can get to that point of exhaustion, whether yeah. that's day to day or in different periods, like you said, as things change. Um, so I think this is so important to talk about with folks and whether this is a client or another colleague um, is just being aware of how much needs to unfold with mm -hmm. this work. Oh, for sure. And it, it's with um, my kids are a bit older than yours. And it's really interesting when they get into the school system, um, the messaging that comes home yeah. and uh, what they learn at school. Um, kind of comes outside of the, the bubble of home. And um, I really appreciate that when you said about the open dialogue and lines of communication, um, because I think that that is so important um, when we talk about bodies and, and food and, and everything actually, um, because the messaging that they can get within classes is so different from the messaging at home. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, I'll say we, we have had a little bit. Um, so when I was, I was working full time, my daughter was, was in um, kind of a daycare setting full time. Um, but, and, and we, we had a little bit of, um, it, it started, I guess I will say, um, as far as some of the health messaging and, um, and it was really challenging. Um, and, you know, so I, I reached out and talked to the director and the teachers and, and tried to, you know, communicate with them um, kind of what, what we were teaching um, our daughter and, um, and also, you know, being open to having conversations with them. Um, and then, you know, getting to a point where it was like, I can't control everything um, too. And, and that's where, you know, just, just continuing to communicate um, with our daughter about, you know, what she's learning at school and, and what she thinks about it and, um, and that kind of a thing. Cause you know, she's, she's going to hear things, um, you know, from, from different places. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that communication at the end of the day is so important um, with, with your child. That is so well said. Cause I think, you know, as a mom and a partner, you know, I have, um, my husband who whether we always agree on things within this this approach as well as right conversation but, <laughs> um, he knows that I can say that oh um, yes mine and, too. and so you know like watching Peppa Pig with my daughter and she loves Peppa Pig and her room uh -huh. is decked out in Peppa Pig and even though there's fat phobia in Peppa Pig I'm okay with exposing her to it because I have conversations with her about it. And she has that, and she's only three. She mm -hmm. will make comments and we talk about it and kind of dissect it. So, um, you know, there's, there's things like you're saying that are outside of your control, things that you can limit exposure to. And then there are things you want exposure to because they are going right. to live outside of the home. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I, for the longest time, um, I was like, my, you know, our kids will not have Barbies. Like they're not going to play with Barbies, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
and getting to a point where she was exposed to Barbies and, and I was like, Oh my gosh, what do I do with this? Um, because like, I am like, so, um, so like anti Barbie, you know, just for, for, you know, the, the beauty standards, um, that a lot of times are, are promoted, um, you know, with a Barbie and then, and then getting to a point where it's like, you know, she's going to be exposed to this. Um, and so let's, you know, let's just talk about body diversity and, um, and trying to, you know, if at all possible, which it's very challenging, I will say to, to find, um, find a diverse, um, body type with Barbies. Um, they've like made, a minuscule progress, I will say, um, with, with, I wouldn't even call them more realistic, um, Barbies, but the Barbie makers may try to disagree, but, um, but, you know, anyways, trying to just like, if, if I can, you know, trying different or trying to find different, um, body types or, or diverse, um, bodies, you know, as far as her Barbie, Barbies go. And even if I can't like, you know, having those conversations with her, um, about it. So it's, you know, I think that brings up, uh, you know, another thing that I, I am constantly challenging is like my own rigidity. And I think a lot of times there can be a lot of rigidity, um, within like haze. And I, and I say that for, as far as like how I initially like came into it and learned it and perceived it um, through my lens um, is I still had a lot and I still do. I still, you know, have a lot of that rigid thinking um, that I've grown out of a lot, but also, you know, is still kind of there. And so, you know, continuously kind of challenge like, am I being like really rigid um, in this? And, and is, you know, is there a different way? And typically there is um, besides rigidity. Um, so, you know, like, you know, just going back to, I'm not ever going to allow my kid to play Barbies. Like that's rigid. And like, okay, how, how have I challenged that and still, um, still stay in alignment with, um, with, you know, my values, um, as a human being and as a Hayes provider. And so, you know, that's, that's one, um, very prominent example that, that I think about a lot. It's just, um, you know, when, when Barbies came up with my daughter, um, yeah. So it goes back to that communication for sure. I think that's so funny. I had the same, this exact same thing with Barbies. Really? Yeah. I'm not alone. I remember there being, there are no Barbies allowed in this house, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And someone gave her one for her fourth birthday. And mm -hmm. she looked at me and she's like, please, please, can I keep it? And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, we, we made it through the Barbie phase. And now we're into the 10-year-old world, which I'm not sure is better. Um, <laughs> but, 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 yeah, like she, um, we talked about um, like the proportions of the doll and comparison mm -hmm. to real life. And, you know, one day we were at the mall and I said, does anybody look like Barbie here? And she was like, no, Barbie's a doll and she's not real. I was like, Oh, okay. good." <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's the same kind of thing. You, we, we want to protect and then um, yeah. avoid, but then we realize that you have to walk into the world and yeah. the world is diets too. So yeah. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that culture is, is going away anytime soon. So it's, it's, you know, preparing, um, and, and helping our kids build resilience, um, and, you know, and, and finding their, their voice and yeah, in, in that. So that makes us want to ask you more about resiliency within the dietetic profession. Mm -hmm. As you probably have been watching in social media, there's this divide among nice dietitians and what you were talking about earlier about being that ally and speaking, uh, how did you say it? You said speaking um, against and not for someone who's marginalized or oppressed. Right. And so you know, there's this whole niceness is being professional within the scope of dietetics. And yet when you see people being marginalized and oppressed based on whatever privilege they have or don't have, how, how 
how are you handling that? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> good question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it, it there's a, especially these last two weeks. Um, it's that, yeah. Um, it's been ever present, um, on my mind. And I, so I, I will first say that I have been somebody, um, who used to be very, very much about the niceness, um, and, and like being nice. And I can recognize, um, that, that mindset is and was a product of my privilege, specifically my white privilege. Um, and, and the whole, like, why can't we just all get along? And that, that was totally, totally me for a, a large majority of my life. And, and sometimes I still even find that that's like my default and, and like my brain like goes there. And now I'm, I'm able to kind of like say, hold on a second. Let's, can we think about this a little bit further? Um, so, so I'm, I say that and like, I'm still working through a lot of that, um, and, and will be. And, and, you know, then going back, like I was, I grew up, I was conditioned to be quote unquote nice. I was conditioned to be civil, um, to not be disruptive. Um, and then again, stemming from, you know, my white privilege, I also got the message and very much internalized the message that I wasn't allowed or I shouldn't express my anger. I shouldn't express my sadness or really any emotion that is not deemed positive by our society. Um, so, so that's kind of, uh, I like to like, I wanted, wanted to kind of lay that there is like, I've, I've been someone who, who very much used the niceness narrative. And so while I can understand, you know, where the niceness mindset comes from, I, I believe it to be problematic. Um, I think it, it can further oppress and marginalize a lot of humans. Again, it's because I think it's so important for us to be able to express um, and critically examine and challenge messages that that are oppressive. Um, and I, again, I think we we need to listen to, we need to hear, we need to validate experiences of those who have been and are oppressed and marginalized. Um, and, and I'll say, like humans who have been oppressed, do not know, do not owe anyone niceness at all um at all and i think that's a lot of times the message that that is kind of pushed out there and and i think you know um the the concept or idea of like being quote unquote professional um i think in a lot of ways is a way of tone policing um and i yeah i mean and and i i've experienced that you know firsthand uh, it's like, why? You're not being professional. It's like, no, I'm being human. Um, that's, that's who I am. Um, I'm a human being. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think we, I, it's uncomfortable, I will say, and I think that's where a lot, um, a lot of the, the pushback comes um, from people who are not not nice. Um, I think because it brings up a lot of discomfort and uncomfortable feelings. Um, and I, again, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that can actually be helpful because that's where some shift can happen. Um, you know, if, if there's some willingness to examine why that discomfort is there, um, for those who are, who are, uh, uncomfortable because people aren't being nice. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where, where I'm sitting, um, at this point. And I, I'm actually, um, I'm glad you brought this question because it, it has come up, um, in some conversations, you know, that I've had recently with some people, um, and, and specifically with how do we, or do we at all, um, work with, and, and, and by work with, I'm, I think that can have many different meanings, um, work with or collaborate or even just have dialogue with practitioners or providers or um, even just other humans who, who have that weight-centric or weight-centered approach. Um, how, you know, how do we, like, work with those people? Um, you know, and I, I think the first thing is, like, we, I think it's important that, 
we know that we can choose whether or not we want to work with those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was talking with someone recently. I said, I think it's important if, if a person is not going to be heard, listened to, or validated, um, then I don't think they're going to want to work with, you know, someone who practices from a different approach. Well, I think, you know, it can be helpful to have dialogue between, um, you know, with somebody who practices from a different approach. Um, again, I think, I don't think we have to do that work if we don't, um, if we don't feel like we have a voice there. Um, and, and then, you know, um, so, so going back to that, like, I think we can be collaborative and, and, and collaborative, like kind of how I see it as my role is have that dialogue and have conversation with those providers and at the same time still challenge and critically examine messages for being oppressive um, that may be coming from, you know, weight, weight-centered approaches, for example. So, um, so that was just something that, that recently came up that I was like, oh, wow, this is also related um, to kind of that, um, that mindset of, like, niceness is why can't we all work together? It's like, well... I think we had to step back and, and really, really explore that a little bit more because um, there's a lot more there. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers, answers your question, gives you a little bit of my perspective of where I'm at right now. Oh, I think it gives us so much. And every time I hear myself say, that's not nice to my kids, I'm, I stop and question myself, well, is it nice or does it need right? to be nice? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. Every single day I'm doing that now. I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah. Yep. All the time. <laughs> um, so, Evie, you have talked about this advocacy work is so, so hard and it takes up a lot of brain space and it filters into so many parts of our lives. Um, how do you balance compassion fatigue? Oh yeah. Um, I, you know, I would say like right now I, I am in a phase where I'm experiencing compassion fatigue. Um, and I'm working, really working through how to maintain my self-care um, and and also like uh, recognizing that like, you know, if I, if I pull back, for example, is that pulling back? Is that part of my privilege? Is it part of my self-care? Like try, just trying to balance all of that. And even that conversation within my head is exhausting. Um, and I think it's still important, an important one to have. Um, so yeah, so I, I, that's definitely something that I'm, I'm still like working through. I, I know right now specifically, for example, um, I have worked to reduce my time that I spend on social media. So I'm, I haven't been posting a lot lately. Um, and that's just part of, um, I needed to pull back a little bit. Um, and just to, to give, give myself some time. It doesn't mean that I'm not, um, that I'm not continuing to like do my work around or do the work around, um, you know, continuing to examine my privilege and, and those kinds of things. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of taken a little bit of a step back um, and trying to, to slow my brain down a little bit because uh, I, I think that that actually can be really helpful in part of this process too um, is just slowing down. So yeah, constant, um, constant thing that I'm working on trying to figure out what, you know, how, how do I take care of that compassion fatigue? Thank yeah, you. That's amazing. It's so difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I follow you on Instagram and you ha- you do great posts when you post. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, that's like, I, you know, my Instagram, I, I'm, I have to constantly remind myself is, you know, why, why, why do I, why am I on social media? And I'm not, you know, I'm not there. I think it can be really easy and I will definitely say I have fallen into this and there are going to be times in the future where I'm sure I fall into this. So I think it's, 
it's going to come. And when you're in social media, you know, to, to get wrapped up in like how many likes that you have or how many like people, um, saw your video or what, you know, whatever our story. Um, and, and, you know, reminding myself, I was like, that's not why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I know there are some people on there who have, you know, reached out to me who, who have said like, you know, thank you for posting this. This has been really helpful or this really resonated with me. And, and that's, that's why I'm there. It's not for the quantity. Um, it's, it's just, you know, if I can, if I can, can, if I can be of assistance to somebody, um, you know, even if it's just one person, you know, like that, that's why, that's why I do that. Um, I, you know, I originally decided to go on social media just because I thought, you know, there need to be some more, um, there just needs to be some different content on there. Um, just some, some different, um, different resources that, that are health at every size that are weight inclusive that are, um, you know, kind of going against the status quo, like just to provide a different perspective. And then, you know, once I got on there, I was like, Oh my gosh, there are all these people who have been doing this for a while. And, um, and so, um, yeah, so, um, that's, that's why I, I, I do that. And I go on there and I, you know, so like my post, I don't try to, you know, put out, so much content, you know, every day or even like in a week, it just kind of comes, as it comes, it comes. Um, and yeah, there's no like rhyme or reason to it. So again, cause that's not why, why I do it. I think it just speaks to how grounded and centered you are. And I love the terms you've been using around that default of rigidity and what we're conditioned to and what's mm -hmm. comfortable and what's you know, we're conditioned to being professionally and, and in speaking of, you know, you mentioned perfectionism and someone who also, I think that limits me to how much I do on social media or my mm -hmm. next step in my business, because I know Lori and I've talked about this too, um, that perfectionism can, can sneak in there and it's almost diet centric in yeah. the way that it stops us because we think of what others are going to perceive of that. So we're just wondering if there's any more you wanted to add to that in working within this scope on ways to manage that perfectionism or that conditioning. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I've definitely touched on, um, you know, a little bit um, of it earlier on. One other thing that I'll, I'll say is, um, and interesting about one example of, of how my perfectionism shows up um, is, is about like the messages that I put out. And when I, when I do speak up and speak out, because I, like, I know I've come to understand that my brain requires a little bit more time to process things. Like I, and I've, I really feel like I have done, um, I've really challenged that a lot. And like, how much is, is it like trying to be perfect versus how much is really my brain just takes that just needs some additional time to process. And, um, and so like, I, I do find that I need to give my, my brain a little bit of time and also at the same time, like kind of challenging, okay, are you like holding off, you know, pushing out this content or speaking up or whatever because of like, fear of rejection or not being accepted or, um, are saying something wrong, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so that's, that's a, a constant thing, um, that I'm, I'm working on. Um, and I, you know, I, again, like it, it goes back, I don't know if there's anything I can really do to change the rate at which my brain like processes things. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, like I said, I'll need a little bit more. I just need some time. But um, I think when I try, when I find myself kind of lingering, there's usually some perfectionistic tendencies um, underlying there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, just kind of checking in with myself on that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for giving us some questions to ask ourselves. Because I think, you know, from our conversation, it's just really hearing how, the questions you ask and how you embody that and how you practice it and then how you come back and reflect and, and just own that this is just going to be 
an adventure, a lifelong adventure, and mm -hmm. it's always going to be changing. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. You have put so many new ideas in my head today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to spend some time thinking. Um, and that's okay. That's yeah, okay. yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, one thing uh, Corey and I like to do when we end up our podcast is we like to ask the question, um, what is currently nourishing you? Um, and that can be anything. Like, what is nourishing you now? This is such a good question. Um, and I, like, I, I love this question. I, I'm going to hold on to it even to like ask myself on a routine basis because I think it's so good. Um, so I, I love it. I love it. And I like the word just nourishment and nourish like I don't know that that just provides kind of a sense of peace to me when I why do hear that word too so I think I I love it even more for that word um so I what currently is is nourishing me and thinking about you know even today which which is was different than last week and might be different from tomorrow even next week um I, like four things kind of come up for me. Um, so one of them is my, um, my mastermind group. So this is just like a virtual online group that I do with um, four other colleagues. Um, they happen to all be therapists, which is actually really nice for me. Uh, I learned so much from them, but they, um, that like we meet kind of every, I guess every two weeks now. So just having that group of colleagues that, um, that are, are, we're, we're, we're similar minded and also at the same time, like we can have some of those uncomfortable conversations. Um, and just, there's kind of that openness, um, uh, there to just be able to kind of, to explore, um, together. Um, so that like, I really, really cherish that time that I get to spend with them. Um, it, it definitely like fills me up. Um, you know, and I'm, I feel like I'm able to go forward for at least the next two weeks um, with with a lot of conversations that we have. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, one thing that that I think is allowing me to to become more nourished or re-nourish myself is is limiting my time on social media, at least for the time being. Um, and and that mainly is Instagram because that's where I spend most of my time. And again, it, it's challenging that rigidity. So it's not that I'm like not on it at all. It's just like just spending a little less time. Um, I one other th or another thing is mentoring. I have had the privilege and honor of being a mentor to um, some. They, they were dietetic students and now they're officially dietitians, which is exciting. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, mentoring those individuals um, has been really nourishing. And that, that is not at all why I, you know, why I chose to mentor them. Um, I mentor them and I chose to mentor them because I have that firsthand experience of how helpful it has been and it is for me um, in, you know, in my own work and, and I want to be able to pay it forward. Um, and these are, are individuals who I've, you know, just come to have really special connections with. Um, and so to, to provide that mentorship from them. Um, and these are, are dietitians who are, you know, specifically health at every size and weight inclusive. And, and I know being in the dietetics field can be very isolating um, when you practice um, with that approach or from that approach. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it, it I think it, it's helpful um, to have somebody else who can, you know, validate um, the type of care that you're providing, um, you know, I know that is, is really helpful for me. Um, and then the last thing I would say is like literally rest and sleep. I mean, like, and that kind of sounds like a no brainer, but, um, but like recently I've needed a little bit of extra rest and sleep. And, um, you know, I, that's, that's another thing I feel like I've, um, especially since in the transition, when I transitioned jobs, um, I, I went through a good chunk of time really, really feeling um, like I wasn't being productive enough um, because I wasn't, you know, going to, to work every day or whatnot. And so really challenging that like productivity um, mindset that we've been conditioned um, to believe that 
that brings a lot of like our value and worth. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, so there are times now where it's like, no, I need, I need more sleep. And that is like literally the most productive thing that I, I need to do and can do right now for my body. Um, and that is okay. And like, I don't have to earn it. I just, that's just what I need. And, um, so yeah, so just allowing a little bit of extra, um, bit of that has been really helpful too. I think we're both going to be silent here because we're both going, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and I'm speaking for you, Lori. So this has just been so wonderful. And oh my goodness, just having that, you know, hearing another professional that you relate to and want to practice like and, and embodying and all the words that you're, you're sharing with us. It's so nice to hear that sometimes we just do need a little R&R. And if it's not a full eight hour sleep, maybe it's in other ways. So yeah, thank you for, for reminding of that, that of us. You're welcome. Yes, so well said. And I have so much gratitude for you mm-hmm. coming and talking to us today about all of this amazing stuff and um, just being so open and honest and just talking about where you are right now and acknowledging that tomorrow could be different and next week could be really different. And Mm -hmm. I think that's some of the conversations that uh, we all need to be having in this space is that as we continue to learn and grow, we might shift Um, and we probably do need to shift. And Mm -hmm. I I think that that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to say, you know, thank you again, both of you. It's, I'm really grateful to, and, and honored to, um, to be on this podcast and just to have some time to, to talk with you all. And, uh, you know, and, and as much, you know, as you mentioned that, um, that you follow my, follow my work and admire what I do, it goes right back to, to both of you as well. And I, you know, I, I'm just really grateful for, for the community that we do have, um, our health at every size and non-diet weight inclusive community. Um, it's so important and it, it's, oh my gosh, like, I'll add to my nourishment list because that community is, is, you know, what, what is so beneficial um, and and what keeps me going um, a lot of the time is just having, having others there with me. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. And we will definitely keep in touch and keep supporting and keep sharing that, uh, that nourishment with each other and just, I mean, yes, we would love to have you back and chat more and see where things are at. Um, And so your time is so valuable. So thank you for sharing this time with us because there's been so much time already put into this and the questions and the emailing and the, and the talking before we recorded. So we appreciate all of your time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.